good to see everybody. Hope you're all feeling well. I don't sound good, but I feel great, so don't worry about me. Um, uh, you might worry about me when I lead worship later, at which point you can just sing really loud in case I open my mouth and nothing comes out, which has happened before, and it was one of the best worship times we've ever had as a church. I would go, you know, nothing would come out, but people were just really engaged. So who knows? Maybe I lose my voice halfway through, and you guys carry the rest of it. Um, Uh, one thing that I've noticed that I don't know if I anticipated before my wife and I had kids is that apparently Becca and I take names very seriously. I never really thought about it before we had the, the honor, the responsibility, the joy of naming human beings, uh, which we've had that chance twice. Actually, about this time last year, we were expecting our second child, and we weren't sure what to name her. And as with her older brother, uh, we had a short list of the top contenders, like a top five. You know, you, like a couple months out, you have like 10, and you just start whittling it down, whittling it down. But we weren't sure what we were going to name her uh, until we met her. And that's sort of when we chose the winner. Um, and so when we met her and we prayed, we wanted to choose a name certainly that we liked the sound of, because we're going to hear it a lot. But we also wanted to choose a name that held meaning for what we hoped she would be and what we felt might be very important to her, a name that would be a blessing every time we spoke it out loud. And so when we met her, we went with the name Gabrielle. Gabrielle means uh, a lot of different things, but they're all closely related. It can mean devoted to God. It can mean a hero of God. It can mean God is my strength. And we have a sense that her personality is going to be a game changer and that the name Gabrielle sort of captured that for us. So names, they hold meaning. Like the name of our church is Mosaic. We got to choose that a few years ago. And I think that's particularly a significant name for us. A mosaic is a collection of uh, shapes and objects from various and diverse different places that are imperfect, but come together, held together by something that binds them together to make a very beautiful picture out of very diverse materials. We think that's a real picture of the type of community that we're trying to develop here. You know, superheroes uh, have probably the most obvious names with meaning. So what do you think Superman means? Don't think too hard. A man that is super. Spider-Man. What do you think his special powers might be? Spider powers, right? Iceman. Storm. What does Storm do? Batman, right? So Marvel and DC folks aren't super creative in their naming of things, but they definitely tell you something about the superheroes just based on their names. They're a little obvious, but you get the point. Names say something about us. In the Bible, names and nicknames often have a lot of significance. So Jesus, for example, his name means God saves. And one of his most famous nicknames is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So you take those two names together and you learn a whole lot about who Jesus was and is. So today we're going to be looking at an important, although I think sometimes overlooked figure in the early church, who himself has a very significant nickname. Uh, he was literally a super friend. 
And this week, before we start a series next week that's all about spiritual friendship and how we can have a certain depth and, and, and power and meaning, excuse me, in our relationships and in our friendships, I thought we'd start today on New Year's by looking at who, the person who might be the best friend that you can find anywhere in the Bible, like the prototype for what a good friend is, besides Jesus. Someone said Jesus, right? That he doesn't count. He's, he's the best at everything. <laughs> but this gentleman, I think you'll find, is an inspiring friend, a super friend indeed. So how can we be a super friend? And to take a look at that, we're going to look at the person of Barnabas as our example. You guys ready for this? So how can we be a super friend? What can we learn from Barnabas? Well, one thing we can learn is to be an encourager. When we first meet Barnabas in the Bible, it's in the book of Acts, and this is how he's described. This is Acts chapter 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought it, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So right away, we learn that Joseph's nickname is Barnabas which means son of encouragement. So if Honest Abe tells you something about Abraham Lincoln or Air Jordan tells you something about Michael Jordan, it stands to reason that Joseph does what? Joseph, a.k.a. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He encourages. He encourages people. And this is what we see him doing throughout the stories about him in the scriptures. Now, this could be just a nice thing to know about Barnabas, that he was an encourager, but I want us to understand something a little deeper and I think a little more significant to this nickname. So when Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in places in the Bible, he describes him using the word parakletos. Parakletos is an interesting word because it doesn't necessarily have a direct parallel in the English language, so it's been translated all sorts of different ways. It's been translated the comforter, the advocate, the counselor. And all these are fine, great translations. But some have suggested that parakletos should rightly be translated as the encourager. And what I think this suggests is that as we watch Barnabas throughout the story, it's as if we're watching someone with the character of the Holy Spirit. Almost like a surrogate of the Holy Spirit, or a little, or a little version of the Holy Spirit, as if by emulating the whole, the Holy Spirit, he facilitates the work of the Holy Spirit in the, the lives of the people around him. Now, throughout the years, it's been a helpful idea for Christians to think of themselves as little Christ. I think that's a somewhat common idea in a lot of church circles. C.S. Lewis wrote about it, and he said this: He said, "Jesus came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men and women." the kind of life he has, by what I call a good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply simply nothing else. And the idea here is that as we follow Jesus, we should become more like him, displaying the attributes of his character and his mission. And the same, I think, is fair to say about our interaction with the Holy Spirit, which is sometimes referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. And as we're filled with God's Spirit and we follow His lead, it makes sense that we would reflect more and more of the person of the Holy Spirit, spreading this sort of good infection or facilitating the continued work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I think we see in Barnabas. 
I'll give you an example. So a church starts completely on its own in the northern city of Antioch. And the church leaders decide that someone needs to go and check it out. So they send Barnabas. And this is what he does in Acts chapter 11. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. See, encouragement isn't just nice. It's actually a a characteristic of God himself, and it's essential to creating a community where the Spirit of God can really work and God's mission can advance. And that's what we see. Barnabas encourages the young church, and, quote, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So let's, let's just not underestimate the power of encouragement. I think I've seen this in my life. Forgive me if you've been around for a few years. I may have told this story once before. Um, but I have an example of this for my own life. You'll be, for those of you who don't know, I'm from Chicago originally. I grew up a Cubs fan. And I suffered for many years until 2016. <laughs> when the unthinkable happened. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought it might be a sign that Jesus was coming back. But we're still here two, later, two years later. But for most of my life, the Cubs have lost, 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 lost. And it wasn't just like we lost. It was like we didn't even get close to winning or getting in the playoffs. So there was one strike-shortened year, which made the odds a little bit better for us. Uh, 1995, where there was this crazy circumstance where if the Cubs were to win 10 games in a row at the end of the season, and all of these other teams in the National League lost a perfect combination of 10 games in a row, which was tough because sometimes they played each other, the Cubs would tie for the wild card spot and be in a one-game playoff to see who would go into the playoffs. So this was a giant ray of hope for a Chicago Cubs fan, (laughs) about as close as we had gotten in my life. So I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. So the Cubs proceeded to win eight games in a row. And all of these teams proceeded to lose eight games in a row in just the perfect combination. So I was at game number seven. And some of the details blur, but I actually looked it up uh, on a baseball reference to see if this actually happened, and it did. It was true. So it's not just my memory. So I was there at the game, and the Cubs had, it was a back-and-forth game. They'd come back and tied it, and uh, late in the game, um, I think they're playing the Cincinnati Reds, and Cincinnati Reds scored two runs. Yay you. Okay, so since Cincinnati Reds came back, they're going to lose. You know they're going to lose this game, right? That's the whole point of the story. So the Cincinnati Reds come back, they, they get up by two runs, and it, it really, the whole atmosphere in the stadium changed. And it felt like I was sitting at a wake or at a funeral. Everybody was depressed. They're like, the season's over. It's never going to happen. It never happens for us, which really, really never happened for us. And um, I just sort of got fed up with it. And I said, forget this. And there was one weird thing. I had decent seats. That never really happens in my life either. I had decent seats at the ball game, and everybody's depressed. So I just stood up, and, you know, like 20-year-old Brad just starts going nuts. Crazy, like, come on, come on, come on, get up. And I'm running. I'm over here. I'm like, get up, get up, get up. And all of a sudden, people around me get up. And all of a sudden, the people on the other side of the field, they get up, and they start cheering. All of a sudden, 35,000 people on their feet cheering. And they're not making this up. Cheering as loud as I can. That was between innings. That inning, the Cubs scored two runs a tight, and then they won it in the 10th inning. Sorry, Cincinnati. 
That happened. So what makes it more beautiful is the next, not just winning the game and beating the Cincinnati Reds, but the next day I was reading the paper. And there was a first baseman for the Cubs at the time. His name was Mark Grace. And he said, you know, we were out of the game until the seventh inning when the fans got on their feet and we knew that we could win. And I was like, oh, this is the days, this is the days when you read newspapers in your hand. I was like, oh, and I was like showing everyone around me, you see this? You see this? That's me. That's me. Hence, the perfect example of the power of encouragement. And then two days later, they lost, and it took until 2016. When really the Cub fans are the ones that need encouragement, not the team. Anyway, so I like to think that my encouragement brought the Cubs back from the brink of a loss. But how much more would I love to see people of this congregation encouraged so that the Spirit of God could move more easily in our midst? Let's encourage one another. It's a big deal. It's so much a bigger deal than we realize. We have plenty of things in our lives that point out what's not working. But how many things or how many people do we have in our lives that point out what's good in us and around us? And we have opportunities all the time. We can do this. It's a big deal, but it's also a simple thing as well most of the time. Here's how we can do it. Start praying for the people around you if you don't already. Some of you already do this. Pray, pick three people in your life that you know, that you come in contact with. So not someone all the way around the world, but someone you're actually going to be able to connect with. Three people in your life. And just pray for them on a regular basis, even if it's two minutes a day. But as you do, pause and ask and look for what God is doing in their lives. How can you do that? Well, ask the Holy Spirit how or where your friends might need some encouragement. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what they do well or what good things he's built into their character. Or simply ask the person you're praying for questions so that you can learn what they're trying to do in their lives. And certainly pray that God blesses those areas of their lives. But then watch for what God is doing. Think of yourself as a treasure hunter with your scuba gear on and you dive into the ocean. You go way down to the bottom where it's just really sandy, you can't see anything, but you know there's treasure down there. You have a map, you've been watching, and you're just brushing back all the sand until you find what's good, what's been lost at the bottom, what people have forgotten to notice. And then encourage the person. And there's simple ways you can do that. First of all, you can just encourage them with your words. Son of encouragement, Joseph's nickname, Barnabas, also can be translated son of exhortation, which means to call out something in someone. And as the Holy Spirit shows you the good things about people around you, use words to affirm the good things. Say simple things like, you know, George, I've noticed you have a real gift for photography. That's awesome. Or Grace, you're really good with children. That's, they seem to really love you. Or Margaret, I was really impressed with how you handled that guy who just cut you off. 
you really kept your cool, man. I don't know if I would have done that. And it can be simple things, small things, or it can be deeper things that you learn about people. A lot of moms and a lot of dads need encouragement. If you see something they do well, man, it would be good to hear that because I'm sure they're aware of the mistakes they make. Your boss, your coworkers, people you see the work that they do all the time. Call it out. Just mention it. Say, you're really good at that. Or I've noticed this is important to you. That's really awesome. And the other way you can support people, with words, yes, but also with means. Uh, and the, we read this in chapter 4. It says that Barnabas sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Super practical. And sometimes the most encouraging thing that we can do is help people in a practical way. How can I help? Money, time, being there to listen to someone. Can I send business your way? Can I watch your kids for a night? Ask the Holy Spirit what practical way you can be an encouragement or maybe even better, ask the person. Because encouragement isn't just nights. It's an act of God, and when we encourage others, like Barnabas, we reflect the nature of God, and we facilitate the work of the Holy Spirit. Second, give second chances. Barnabas, throughout the book of Acts, does this in two really profound ways. I'm sure he does it in a lot of ways, but we see two big examples. The first is with Saul, who would later become known as Paul. So in Acts 9, it says, When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, let's not lose sight of what a huge risk this was for Barnabas. Saul was a man who was famous for chasing Christians all over the empires with letters so that he could arrest them. And he sat by approvingly as the first Christian martyr was stoned to death. But Barnabas was in tune with the Spirit enough to vouch for Saul. And he knew that God was really working in his life, and he was willing to give him a second chance. Barnabas does this again with his cousin John, also known as Mark. So Saul, later called Paul, a lot of names going on here, turned out, turned out that Saul slash Paul was a terrific leader. Very terrific. He started churches all over the Near and Middle East, and a little bit in Europe too. And it tells this story uh, in Acts 15. It says, sometime later, Paul came to Barnabas. Let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So the truth is, even if you're a super friend, people will let you down sometimes. And your friends are going to disappoint you. But it's important to remember that God gives us all second chances. Now, in this situation, I don't think it's even possible to say whether Paul or Barnabas was 100% right. You know, Paul might say, we can't put one individual ahead of our entire mission. 
And Barnabas might say, part of the mission is redeeming people from their mistakes. And they would both, I think, be right. But whatever the case may be, whoever was more right or not, I think one thing that's definitely true is that Mark needed someone to give him a second chance. He needed someone to believe in him. And Barnabas gave him that second chance. And as far as we can tell from history, actually, Mark made the most of it. So although John Mark abandoned Paul on their first journey, it's clear from Paul's own letters that have become Christian scripture that not only did Paul and John Mark reconcile, but Paul thought well of him. So later, when Paul is near the end of his life, he writes to his apprentice, Timothy, and he says, get Mark, bring him with you because he's helpful to me, my ministry. And then, maybe the sweetest example, when Paul writes from prison to another Christian, he closes the letter by saying this, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So here we see that later in life, even when Paul is arrested and is in prison, Mark does not desert him. And he stayed with him, and Paul refers to him as a fellow worker. Now this can be really a tough one if you've been burned. And I like to point out that by suggesting that we give people second chances, I'm not suggesting that we actively decide to put ourselves back into abusive situations or that we don't exercise healthy boundaries as people rebuild trust with us. But I do think this does indicate that God is not always finished with people when we would like to be. And I've been on both ends of this, and I've shared some of those stories. There have been times where I've just written people off, particularly as a younger guy just getting started in ministry, and I regret it to this day. And there's been times when I've been written off where those closest to me, my lifelong mentors, have decided they don't want anything to do with me. Or maybe you need to let this sink in for a minute today because in this story, you identify much less with Barnabas, but much more with Saul and Mark. You feel you've blown it. And the mistakes you've made are too big to come back from, too demoralizing to overcome. You know, my mistakes... My regrets are often so much in my face that it can shut me down. And there are days when my mistakes as a husband or as a pastor of this church, they're all I can see. Some days, I, a lot of days, I feel really stuck. Like I haven't changed, I haven't grown. And in times like that, it's hard to have hope. It's hard to move forward. It feels overwhelming. Can anyone relate? So let me say to you that I think that you and I are in good company. Saul certainly had messed up horribly, and so had Mark. And we'll see that, and as we've seen, and we'll see a little bit more, that they came back from these huge failures to change history in a very literal way. And sometimes as much as we want to beat ourselves up and disqualify ourselves, we have to let go of our own shame. And let God give us a second chance. And a third. And a fourth. And this is what the Holy Spirit would like to do. If we let him. Let's listen to him. And to him through those around us as they speak to us of forgiveness and second chances and a future of hope and renewal and breakthroughs. 
The third thing that we can learn from Barnabas about facilitating the work of the Holy Spirit is to build others up even higher than yourself. In the beginning of the story of Barnabas, it's all about Barnabas. He's really a central hero, and as you're reading the book of Acts, you start thinking, wow, this Barnabas guy, he's going to be like a major player. And through the rest of this book, he gives large sums of money to help the poor. He's sent by the apostles to check out a new church in Antioch, which becomes like a major church. He becomes the senior pastor, if you will, of that large growing church, and he becomes one of the first Christian superstars. But Barnabas does something very interesting. Instead of pointing all of the attention towards himself, he remembers that there's another Christian who is very gifted, perhaps even more gifted than himself. And instead of being afraid that he might surpass him in position, in prestige, in power, he invites him to come and lead with him. And that person, as we've read, is Saul, who became known as Paul. And an interesting thing happens. As the story is told, superstar Christian Barnabas, the farther we get into the story, the more and more things focus on Paul and the less and less things focus on Barnabas in some pretty striking ways. So when the church sends them off to preach about Jesus, to start churches all over the world, they're referred to in chapter 13 uh, twice as Barnabas and Saul. They send off Barnabas and Saul. Then at their very first ministry stop, Saul works this miracle. And as they leave that place, the writer, the writer refers to them in verse 13 as, quote, Paul and his companions. Barnabas doesn't even get a mention anymore. He's just along with this great guy, Paul. And from then on, the two pastors, ministers, whatever you want to call them, with just one exception, are always referred to as Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. And the preeminence or the position has switched from Barnabas to Paul. And this is what spirit-led friends do. They help each other become all that they can be. They build each other up, even letting their friends stand on their shoulders as they reach for the stars. And if their friends receive more acclaim, more prestige, more success, good for them. You know, it can be easy for us to think of a good friend as someone who treats us well and comes through for us when we need them, certainly. But being a spirit-led friend, a super friend, is to be empowering to others. It's about lifting others up. And we see this in the character of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that the Spirit will, quote-unquote, testify about or point people to him. And the Holy Spirit looks to lift Jesus up instead of lifting himself up. No wonder Barnabas, the son of encouragement, would look to lift other people up above himself. And as he did, as he did, he perhaps facilitated the work of the Holy Spirit like no one else in the Bible ever has. And you can see this in something profound in what I'm calling shared victories. The fourth thing we can take from the share victories. So Paul, next to Jesus, is probably the most influential Christian that has ever lived. He started churches all over the world, and his writings to those churches have become over half of the Christian scriptures of the New Testament. And his writings alone have impacted, shaped, and changed 
lives and cultures of billions of people without exaggeration. John Mark also left his mark. So he was the first person to write down the story of the life of Jesus. In fact, most scholars would agree that his gospel or his telling of the life of Jesus was a resource and reference for two other gospels that are now in the Christian scriptures, Matthew and Luke. So his writing, the gospel of Mark, has also influenced billions of people as well. It's crazy. What if Barnabas had not encouraged or given a second chance or lifted these men on his shoulders? Would God have found another way? Well, maybe God would have raised someone else up to be a good friend. But what a joy for Barnabas to get to be a part of these shared victories. You know, in the kingdom of God, it's always a team effort. We're a body. That's the analogy that's used again and again to describe the church, body of Christ. And when one of us succeeds, we all succeed. And when one of us is in pain, we all hurt. So we ask ourselves, how can I help facilitate the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people around me? How can I be a good friend? And here's some good news. You know, as I look around this room, and this is often the case when I'm preaching, and sometimes it can be like, hey, this is what you need to do, because that's kind of what sermons are a lot of the time. Hey, you should try this, try this, do this. Um, I see a room full of good friends, so don't take me the wrong way. I see people that I know have visited sick friends in the hospital day after day to support them. Friends who've brought meals to folks in times of crisis or recovery. I see people that have slipped anonymous money to their friends who are struggling financially. Friends who have helped friends move in 90 degree, incredibly humid weather, up flights and flights of stairs more than once. And so much more. And to you, I would just like to say keep it up. You're doing a great job. And let's take note of how this happens so that we can make room in a way for even more of the Holy Spirit to work in our midst. Let's be intentional. Let's keep encouraging. Let's keep giving those second chances and keep finding ways to lift those around us higher than ourselves. Because as we do, and as the kingdom of God continues to advance, we all win together. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, and we want to thank you for the example of Barnabas. And I pray that no matter what place or space people are in this morning, if you identify more with Paul or Barnabas or Mark and his struggles or Barnabas, I pray that we all would be encouraged. I pray even just by the presence of your Holy Spirit as we sit here together, hear me speak, sing songs of worship to you, connect with people would your spirit be in the midst doing what you do encouraging us we pray this in your name amen all right i'd like to invite the worship team to go ahead and make your way back up and